0: Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to The Legal Talk Network.
1: So ladies and gentlemen, we have an excellent show for you today. We have the one and only Mr. Mark Garagos with us today. If you don't know who he is, I'm pretty sure you do, but he has represented people like Winona Ryder, Michael Jackson, Justice Smollett, Chris Brown. He is a criminal defense attorney and he's here to talk to us today and give us some gems. How are you today, Mr. Garagos?
2: I could not be better. I, uh, life is good and uh, glad to be here. You guys, I think, do the best job at the ABA, so I'm happy to join you. Thank you so
1: much. I really do appreciate it. So, little known fact. Back in the day when I got out of school and probably around 2010, I was like fixated, almost like obsessed with the Casey Anthony trial, and you would come on HLN and you would um, you would do HLN and you would do CNN. And you would just talk about it. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to be a lawyer and I want to talk on TV about being a lawyer and I want to represent people. If you leaving uh, law school, do you think that you would have known you would be where you are today?
2: No, I don't think so at all. In fact, the uh, when I I believe in about three months will be my 40th anniversary of being sworn in and I left law school. Before that, obviously. So I back then, uh, that was before there was an internet that was before there was cable news. And I will tell you that I always did want to be a criminal defense lawyer, I grew up, my father was a hard charging prosecutor. Basically, got sworn into the DA's office the same month I was conceived. I don't know what came first (laughs) my conception or his swearing. The chicken or the egg. It was very close in time. And uh, I used to follow him around the court, and I thought that was the greatest job in the world to be a prosecutor. You get up, you talk basically you take a 2 hour lunch and shoot your mouth off in the afternoon and you go home at 4:30 so i <laughs> thought how you couldn't get much better than that uh one of the problems was though i and i was offered a job in the, the LA DA's office but by then my dad had left the office and was a, a solo practitioner and i just couldn't bring myself to prosecute i just uh you know that was back when Uh, marijuana crimes and drug crimes were uh, even more prevalent than they are now. In fact, I often also tell the story of following my father around during the summer and I'd watch him in court. And I remember one day seeing him um, prosecuting a kid who was maybe five or six years older than me, but didn't look that much older than me. And my dad was, uh, was asking the judge to send him to prison in California for being in a room where marijuana was smoked and that just blew my mind. I could first of all I couldn't believe that was a crime <laughs> that you could just be sitting in a room where marijuana was smoked. <laughs> and then second of all, I couldn't believe that you go to state prison and the judge sent him to state prison. And I remember talking vividly talking with my father afterwards and saying, "What the heck are you doing?" That's uh, that's, that's uh, you yeah, know, I may have said evil, you know, I was a budding teenager. And shortly thereafter, he left the office and went into private practice. And for 40, 30 years after that, I probably believed that I had an influence on my father, that I had talked him into leaving the dark side, as I often say, of prosecution (laughs) and coming to the light. And I told this story at his memorial service when he passed away. And my mother came up afterwards and says, "Oh, that's so cute that you think you talked him out of the DA's office." And I said, "I didn't." She goes, "You were just about to enter high school, and you and your two brothers wanted to go to college. And if you thought I was going to be able to pay for college on seventy thousand a year of a DA salary, you're crazy." So. Anyway, that's how I got into criminal defense.
1: Gotcha. So um, it's it's odd that you say that because, like I said, I saw you um, speak about um, the Casey Anthony trial, and I was like – I'm going to be a criminal attorney. It's no if, ands, or buts about it. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to be a public defender, and it's no if, ands, or buts about it. And then law school happens, and then you go to all the different places, and you go to the different lunches and stuff, and you're like, you know what, I don't know if criminal defense is for me, but... um. So did you, did you become a
2: public defender?
1: So I'm still in law school, so I finish in May. And I'm going to be working at, um, in big law, which actually.
2: Okay. So let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm listening. I mean, you want some gems. I'm ready. Let me tell you some secrets. I'm ready. That they won't tell you in law school. Okay. I'm ready. First I'm ready. of all. And I don't know how this evolved other than maybe who knows, maybe it's a function of student debt, but the big law. Uh, kind of grabbing of the brass ring I don't know yes if I'm you said myself. you said that you said that the brass ring okay mm-hmm. so it's really illusory in this sense okay if you want to be a lawyer and 50 years ago 70 years ago this used to be standard you'd get out of law school you'd go for either a a you'd go for a government trial lawyer job. What does I mean by that? A prosecutor, a DA, a city uh, attorney, a public defender, a county counsel, And why do you do that? Because that's the only place you can ever get any trial experience. And why is that important? Because if you're going to go into big law or you're going to go anywhere else, and if you go straight from law school, there's a fundamental problem. No client is going to hire you immediately because right. they don't want you handling your case because you don't know anything All when right. you get out of law school. Number one. Right. Number two. If, if big law. I always, I always joke, and I've got many family members who went that route. You could die in your office. This is pre-COVID, of course, but <laughs> you could die and be there for three days and nobody would ever discover you until you started stinking up the place uh, because you're in a silo. You're doing written discovery, or you're doing summaries, or you're doing doc production and doc review, and it is excruciatingly boring. You do not learn, and it does not help you see the big picture, number one. Number two, you don't ever deal with people. You don't deal with people who have problems. One of the beautiful things about, and I had the opportunity to do this for 20 years uh, straight out of law school, about representing clients, is it gives you insight into the, the human nature. And you can't be an effective lawyer if you don't have insight into human nature, if you don't understand how people think. Law school does a weird, twisted thing on your brain, it conditions you to think like a lawyer, which a lot of the times is exactly the opposite of what you need to practice law especially in a
1: courtroom right i can only imagine that because i mean most of the time you aren't representing lawyers so you need to think like regular people so you said in your what i wish i'd known about the brass ring which is big law so when you came into law school you wanted to work in big law or you were like i want to be in the courtroom tomorrow
2: so I had just like everybody else, most of my classmates, everybody wanted the big law job. that was kind of the, that was the deal and i I don't even remember the name of the firm, but one of my summers, it was probably rising too well. I interned for a while, and I thought that was the most excruciatingly boring stuff I could ever do. <laughs> then, after my third year. While waiting for my bar results, I had the fortunate experience of following my father around, and he had three back-to-back criminal defense murder trials, uh, two in state court, one in federal court, which is not a frequent occurrence, especially back then. This is 1982, 1983. And I watched those cases actually passed the bar during or found out that I had passed the bar during those cases. And the last case I ended up handling it ended in a conviction. It was a death penalty case. And I ended up handling that young man's appeal for many years. And, uh, he's out now. Uh, and, uh, I take great pleasure in that, but it was to me, I often say to young lawyers, one of the things you should do, if you've got some spare time is go down to your local courthouse, whether it's civil or criminal, sit in the department that is usually the hub for sending out cases to trial. Pick a lawyer who you're, who strikes your fancy based on whatever it is, the um, way he speaks or the way he moves or the way she uh, dresses or whatever whatever attracts your fancy and follow them to the trial and sit and watch the trial. There's nothing like watching a trial to reverse engineer what a case is about because what I found by doing that is when you first talk to a client about their problem, whether it's civil, criminal, or anything else, you have to think about how, do I, how am I going to put this case together? How am I going to help this client? And I always think about that in terms of how am I going to present this case in a courtroom? And until you've seen how a case is presented in a courtroom, it's awfully hard to deal in the world of hypotheticals. Good deal. So we are going to take a quick break
1: and we will be back with Mr. Mark Garrigos. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training. For you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S T A F I.cc and get $500 off with code HAPPY24.
0: This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Law Student Division. It's never too early to start exploring potential practice areas and building your network in the field. The Law Student Division provides students like you with resources and experiences aimed at helping them succeed in law school and prepare for what's next. Claim your full law student membership for just $25 by visiting ambar.org slash join.
1: All right, we are back with the one and only Mark Geragos. So, of course, you've worked with so many prominent uh, clients. Well, I'm pretty sure all of your clients, you believe they are prominent. Can you remember who your first big name client was and how you went about getting the client and going through their case?
2: Well, the first client that got me national exposure was a woman who was charged with embezzlement in la and this is back in the 90s i'd been a lawyer for maybe 15 12 15 years and the case at that point was known because it was an embezzlement from a, a world famous orchestra conductor and the orchestra conductor's name was zubin Mehta, and zubin and his wife nancy had employed my client and she was now accused of embezzling from them well when she came to me it's one of the only times in my career I had four women who were all charged with murder in being housed in what was then called the Sybil brand women's correctional facility in LA, which was a notorious place. Uh, it wasn't originally, but by the time in the nineties, it had devolved into kind of a horrible, horrible facility. They had put this client there. She had talked with potential client at the time. She talked with the four other women. And they recommended that she talk to me, and I met with her. And I thought she liked my um, my approach and my style, or whatever you want to call it. Turns out, I found out later she liked my shoes. So it shows you—you you <laughs> never know why a client's going to uh, pick you as your lawyer, as their lawyer. That woman, by the time we got to trial in the embezzlement case, had become the case was no longer Zubin Mehta. It was Susan McDougall of Whitewater fame because she had been uh, accused and she was the erstwhile partner of Bill Clinton. And mm-hmm. it became quite a cause celeb. We got her acquitted of the 15 counts in Santa Monica and then went back to Little Rock, Arkansas and uh, did that case uh, maybe three or four months later. And she was acquitted of the obstruction of justice and they hung on the uh, two counts of contempt. And, you know, it's funny you ask that question, because the other day, for the first time in almost 20 years, I talked to her erstwhile business partner, President Clinton. And uh, all the talk that you hear about President Clinton and and I've talked to him, but it's been decades. Um, he remembered details of that trial that, frankly, I had forgotten and he wasn't even there. Do you
1: still get nervous when you meet prominent people or well, I guess you're a prominent person now, so. Do
2: you still get nervous or I wouldn't say with prominent people. I'll tell you what, I really get nervous um still and if I if it stops then I probably will retire when I get up to give an opening statement. It doesn't happen with picking a jury, but an opening statement I still get I get nervous. I have that pit in my stomach because once I've picked the jury and then I'm getting up there to give the opening statement for a client uh, and then I've got the client's fate in my hands. I, I still get that, pit, the same kind of feeling I get when I play basketball before a big game.
1: So being a prominent figure, I know a lot of people, they have like, let's say just a regular DA or a regular public defender. I'm sure the weight of the world is on their shoulders every single day. But I feel like yours is a heightened sense of like importance how do you decompress?
2: Well, let me tell you something. If you have kids, there's no way you can ever get too big of a head or you can uh, think too highly of yourself. So that's my check on uh, ego getting uh, expansive or anything else. I've got a daughter who's a spectacular criminal defense lawyer in Manhattan, works for a good friend of mine, Ben Broffman, who's one of the probably the best uh, criminal defense lawyer in New York. And I've got a son who's a, a chef who channels my my other great uh, interests, which is food. And uh, he went completely the opposite direction of the law.
1: So you have a daughter who is an attorney and a son who's a chef. Do
2: you and your daughter argue about cases? Absolutely. We have a and we have since she was very young and uh, she's she was kind of born for the role, if you will. I, she's the third generation in direct lineage of uh, criminal defense lawyers, and it's almost embedded in her DNA. And uh, she's had her share of high-profile cases and wins. Uh, she's defended, a, and I keep telling her, don't get used to this, but uh, I think she's tried as uh, co-counsel five five or six federal trials and has won four of them, um, oh wow. Yeah, the, uh, they the two that she didn't win were very high profile and very tough uphill battles.
1: So, you know, a lot of our listeners are law students right now and it seems like it's so easy to look at your career and be like that's what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to represent those people. I want to do every single thing he's done, but they feel like they have to check off all of these little boxes and they have to do all these certain things. What do you believe is the, if someone wants to get into entertainment law and they want to do what you do, what do you think they really need to hone in or
2: do to do that? I really am a huge believer in you've got to find or identify somebody who you want to emulate, not their style necessarily, but who is in your uh, wheelhouse, so to speak, of where you want to be. And I was fortunate. I had my father, but I had there was somebody who just passed away recently, Doug Dalton, who was a, um, a kind of a frontline so-called celebrity lawyer before there was such a thing as a celebrity lawyer who was prominent in L.A. And I kind of trailed behind him and, and watched him. I watched another guy who be, later became a judge named Warren Ettinger and there were various lawyers that I kind of wanted to watch saw their styles adopted things that I thought were natural to me or authentic to me and listen to them and talk to them and then you toil part of what the key to success is is you just have to decide where it is and you have to master that area once you master the area everything else falls into place and then you'd be surprised how much of this kind of trails behind being the the master of your niche, so to speak. And you can't get defeated. I mean, I tell people I lost the first, I think, seven jury trials I did, and it was very disconcerting. But then I just kept, kept going, I kept going. And then back in the 90s, I had a streak of seven years without a loss. So, I mean, it's a it's something that you just cannot get discouraged. You you have to just keep plugging away and you have to get better and better at what you do. And I have spoken to
1: so many attorneys and I will say for me that just resonated with me just because. Like, let's say if I'm looking to choose an outfit or something, I'll look in a magazine and I'll say, OK, this is the type of look I'm going for. But I've never thought to, to think this is the type of lawyer I want to be. So let me look to this person and see how can I alter or follow the path that they've followed. That is so I am going to do that now. And I know you are one of my people. So I'm going to start like checking off some
2: things that you've done. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you another thing that I I did. There's been lawyers who I've admired over the years who I didn't know or passed away, and if there are biographies or autobiographies, Edward Bennett Williams is one, and and the I think his book is called The Band of Sea. I remember reading that. He was kind of a go-to lawyer in the District of Columbia, and actually ended up owning the uh, Washington, then what was called the Washington Redskins, Americans. and there's been other lawyers over the years. You know, there's, uh, I was reminded the other day, one of the guys that I was, that worked at his firm, Williams and Connolly, was David Kendall. And I remember I uh, early in my career, David was, was enormously helpful and, and wise and uh, with a lot of uh, good information. I You know, there's just, it's an amazing thing to pass down. And I know you hear it all the time, but especially with what has happened with the evaporation, I guess, or the rapid extinction of jury trials, especially federally. You just don't see that many jury trials anymore, in the right. federal system, especially in criminal, because it's so, you know, you get penalized if you lose. And it's uh, trial lawyers are kind of a dying breed, and I hate to see that.
1: Yeah, so we will be right back with Mr. Mark Garagos, and um, we'll continue that conversation a little bit later. All right, we are back with the one and only Mark Garagos. So, Mr. Garagos, in a different multiverse, and you were not a lawyer, what would you have been?
2: One of the things that we've been doing uh, recently that uh, intrigues me is uh, my partner and I law partner and I, and Ben, who, uh, is my law partner founded a organization called Midas touch, which is a progressive democratic kind of pack, if you will. And they also have uh, YouTube videos that go viral. And he did that kind of media thing. And then we just purchased a, um, a conglomerate of magazines in, uh, in the Southern California area. And that is intriguing. It's, uh, I have very few hobbies, so that's kind of where I channel, uh, my free time, if you will.
1: Gotcha. What would you say to someone to prevent burnout? Because I see a lot of like lawyers, they start early, they graduate school about 24 and then they get burnt out. What can you say to that?
2: My humble opinion, burnout usually happens to those who get on that brass ring, big law track. I, I see it repeatedly and I don't know, maybe it, maybe my experience or for where I'm sitting, I, I get that, but uh, that tends to be the problem is that you don't get to, I mean, I, I've i been fortunate in my career that I can pick and choose cases that I want. I mean, five years, six years ago now, I had a gentleman walk into my office and or i met him in new york i forget which came first but he was a athlete and he had kneeled and on the sideline of the san francisco 49ers and he was basically blackballed by the nfl and we brought a collusion case and uh, the rest is history and his name is colin kaepernick and uh, we've been fortunate we still represent colin today And that's, uh, you know, it's an honor to represent somebody like Colin, who stood by his beliefs and to be able to do that. I'm also right now defending the ex-executive director of the State Bar of California, who's been charged by the State Bar who he used to work for for 10 years ago or, or roughly. And, you know, that gives me a little bit of a charge in being able to take on governmental entities, especially when I think uh, governmental or corporate, when I think they're picking on people.
1: Is there ever a day where we could see a judge Garagos on TV?
2: They've come to me a couple of times on that. And look, I I probably shouldn't say this because people will say it's a joke, but uh, (laughs) I have my ex, one of my close dearest friends, my ex-partner who was with me for almost 20 years is a judge I can't imagine anything I'd rather do less. <laughs> Not even transactional I, my work. Father, my father, <laughs> to quote my father, he used to say, I'd rather sell oranges on the side of the freeway. <laughs> so that, that I tend to agree with him. Gotcha.
1: Well, I want to thank you so much for your time and thank you for these gems. Um, I know I really resonated with with a gem that you dropped today. So thank you so much for your time. Is there anywhere that we can uh, follow you or
2: um, see you? We do a podcast uh, for almost 10 years now uh, with it was with Adam Carolla. Adam is taking a sabbatical. It's called Reasonable Doubt. I stayed up all night thinking up that name. And uh, if you go to Reasonable Doubt uh, on YouTube or on Apple podcasts, it's a perennial top 50. Uh, uh, take a listen. where We try to get fairly unusual and intriguing guests in the legal field. And it's, I think, pretty fascinating.
1: I actually listened to your first podcast, the very first one when it very first came out with Adam Corolla. It was very entertaining. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much.
0: Thank you, DeMario. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBard.org forward slash lawstudent. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network,